Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Respect. How is Aretha doing? Just doing all right. Just all right. Singing is sacred, and you shouldn't do it just because somebody wants you to. What's most important is that you are treated with dignity and respect. You're special, Ray. You have a talent they call genius. You think about trying to do to me. How old is she? She's 10. But her voice is going on 30, honey. How many albums have you had? Four. And no hits. I need you to focus and avoid frivolous distractions. Honey, find the songs that move you. Until you do that, you ain't going nowhere. I need a change. I want to sing what I want to sing. Okay. Find out what means to me. You really like it? We love it. Re-re. 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 I got a single by this new chick named Aretha Franklin. You're not about to mess this up for me. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Rita Franklin. This song goes out to anyone who's ever felt mistreated. I used to feel so You need to take a break. I know how to run my business. Have you lost your mind? Maybe I found it. I believe I have the chills. Do you see what she is? She's a miracle. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Respect, and the story is as follows. Aretha Franklin sings in her father's church choir as a child and grows up to become an international musical superstar and legend. The film is starring Jennifer Hudson, Forrest Whitaker, Marlon Wayans, Audra McDonald, Mark Maron, Titus Burgess, and Mary J. Blige. It is directed by Liesl Tommy and written by Tracy Scott Wilson. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And as a guest here joining us today, welcome back to the show, Kathia Woods. Hi, nice to be here. Yes, very nice to have you here as well. In talking about a legendary musical icon as Aretha Franklin, the movie that is trying to encapsulate her entire life story obviously needs to be big. And even at 145 minutes that this movie has here, personally, I still feel like it wasn't enough. Um, We're going to get into reasons why here in a little bit. 
But Aretha Franklin is just one of those larger-than-life icons of not just the music scene, but also in terms of her civil rights and humanitarian work that she did. Uh, she is someone who has inspired generations and millions of people. And now, after a long release delay uh, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we are finally getting the musical biopic with Jennifer Hudson, who was uh, hand-selected by Aretha to play her in this movie, bringing her to the screen here. So there's a lot of anticipation, a lot of hype. And like I said before, had a near two-and-a-half-hour runtime. Does the movie justify itself? Yes or no? I'm passing it over first to our guest here, Kafia Woods. What did you think of Respect? I have a lot of issues with this film. I do. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like you learn nothing new. You know what I mean? And the parts that, if you're if you are a Aretha fan, if you are familiar with her story, her trajectory, her uh, renaissance, you learn nothing new. It wasn't like you you got to revisit with an old friend. So that is problematic. I think with these biopics, this is the reason why we get frustrated. We're supposed to learn something. We're supposed to walk away understanding or kind of like this is why this person had a career or why they became a star. Other than the fact that we knew she sang well, I can't say that you did. Mm -hmm. It almost does feel like it's coming off as that often ridiculed and mocked musical uh, biopic trope of the greatest hits, if you will. It's just, it had an opportunity. There was so much fanfare around there. There was so much, like, it's going to be better than the Geomat um, television show. Mm -hmm. The expectations, maybe we were wrong, maybe that's on us. But the expectations were high for this one, especially knowing that Jennifer... You know, she won an Oscar. She's from the Midwest. She's a church girl. All the things that it had going for itself. And I, for the life of me, I was talking to someone else about this, was trying to understand why would you go with a first-time director? That's a problem. Plenty of Black directors out there who have directed musicals or who just have directing experience. Or hi why not hire a Black woman that has experience? Uh, and is familiar with the the queen, and then also the uh, script. Why go with someone that had never written a movie script? So it's you started off wrong in terms of like the two things you need to make a really solid movie. I mean, I think the answer to that, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it's my own interpretation that if you get someone writing the script and someone directing, this is their first gig in terms of their uh, making their feature length debuts, that gives a lot of power and control then to the studio executives who then can craft this um, manufactured, tailor-made Oscar bait film that is something that is more akin to all these other musical biopics that we've seen in recent years, um, especially because it feels like in the early 2000s, movies like Ray, Walk the Line, um, we saw like this surge in the popular musical biopic formula. 
And then it kind of dwindled for a bit there until the late 2010s with Bohemian Rhapsody making as much money as it did. And now with like Rocket Man, Judy, and now this, it just feels like we're going to get one of these every year. And they're all following that very mainstream studio overly produced formula instead of giving us something that's very unique and new kind of like what you said before like we we would walk away from this thinking that this was a very as, as much of a unique experience as the individual that is portraying but we don't get that here <laughs> uh josh parham opening thoughts what did you think of respect well I kind of walk away from this movie how I walk away from most biopics about musicians, which is that was a pretty good performance at the center, but the rest of the movie I really wasn't that into. And I I don't know if I joined like the hyperbolic praise that Hudson seems to be getting. I think that she's good in the movie. I don't think she's like amazing or or anything close to that level, but it's a good like solid anchor of a performance. The problem that I have with the rest of, the, of this movie is that I feel like the scope just tries to be way too wide and it covers like, like 20 years, uh, the first 20 years of uh, Aretha Franklin's career. And it just feels like it has no focus. It doesn't really have any sense of direction. And the narrative just feels kind of disjointed and messy. And it was really hard to like hone in on anything particular that was meaningful in Franklin's life. And it just felt like I couldn't really settle into a groove with the storytelling. And I think that was the biggest problem for me. And at two and a half hours, I think you really do feel the length of what they're trying to accomplish. So I wouldn't say that I hated the movie, but I do think it is victim to a lot of tropes that we see in this genre. And I don't think it really does anything creative to overcome them. And so what you're left with is a good performance in the center, some other good ones in the supporting cast, although there's some others that I don't like. And overall, it's just a movie that I think tries to bite off more than it can chew and would have been better served as something more laser focused in terms of uh, Franklin's life. But what's presented is just, I think, a bit too like unwieldy. And I really wasn't that much of a fan of it. Yeah, this is a case where the entire movie, like you said, Josh, around the central performance uh, for me, uh, just was never fully clicking, even though I could see what it was trying to do. So um, if I could just slightly disagree with you a little bit, I, I did see what they were going for in terms of a theme and a thorough line with the storytelling of her character arc and journey and so on and so forth. I, I thought it was very simple and very easy to kind of decipher. But at the same time, it wasn't that interesting as the life that she led in real life here. And there were a lot of other things that they could have touched upon instead. But I feel like in order to do that, they would have had to have done this in the form of uh, a television miniseries or something along those lines. And as Kefia just pointed out a minute ago, um, they, they, they tried something like that recently. And so I, I feel like this movie, uh, I, I did in the end come away from it slightly more positive than negative mostly because of jennifer hudson who i think is delivering career best work um as much as like everyone loves her performance in dream girls i feel that this is just more of a showcase role a, a role that she was literally born to play 
And I think that she absolutely does knock it out of the park here. And I do like the supporting performances, even probably the ones that you were alluding to that you uh, didn't like as much. I I really enjoyed uh, Forrest Whitaker, Marlon Wayans, Mark Marin, Titus Burgess. I mean, like there, there are a lot of uh, supporting performances here that did work for me. Um, but I want to add a little caveat to all of this. I like the performances that are being given by all the actors involved, but I feel that the material that they're working with is very conventional, does not allow for enough complexity that could have allowed this to be truly great. And I think they all do the best with what they're given in this case. Yeah, I'm going to uh, very much disagree about Forrest Whitaker and Marlon Wayans in this movie. I I did not like them at all I thought Wayans was very stilted and didn't have much chemistry with Hudson. If I'm going to be honest, I, I didn't really buy them together and really wasn't a fan. But isn't that like the idea? Because you know, I mean, obviously he was abusive towards her, and like, do, do we want to see that they have good chemistry and that we're on their side in their relationship, or do you want to, you know, kind of have this sense of unease about them being together? Well, you need to believe that they would be together in the first place. And from the very first moment, I never really believed that they would be together. I That was just a problem for me. I wasn't a fan of him. And Whitaker, uh, Forrest Whitaker is an actor that can give some good performances, but I, I feel like he's been giving more bad ones lately. And he was just another one that never felt very comfortable in this role as this energetic preacher and this uh, mentor to Hudson, who's also strict and just like, he got all the things on the surface, but it never really went any deeper to me. And I feel like Whitaker has that issue sometimes where he doesn't really like fully embody the characters that he's playing and he can be good, but I don't think that this is a good example of his talent. And see, I'm going to just say that I, I leveled that at the feet of the writing and not so much at the performer, because every time that Whitaker was on screen, I was drawn in by how at the drop of a dime he could go from being soft and gentle to volcanic and extremely stern to the point that it would just like kind of freeze you in your tracks a bit. And that I understand what you're saying in terms of it being surface level, but it, it it was magnetic enough that it kept me invested in what was going on, and it, even though the movie itself was threatening to lose me sometimes with its story. That was, to me, one of the highlights. I think the two women that played the sisters, Marlon Wayans, is so underrated and so uber-talented. I don't necessarily always like him in his stuff because it gets a little silly for me, mm-hmm. but I love him in this. Ted, if you look at some videos whatever they are out there, hopefully there's something on YouTube, was a manipulative, controlling charmer. That's a nice way of putting almost like a narcissist. But he, in my opinion, represented to Aretha, in having grown up in this super strict household, was um, escape, rebellion, the opportunity to exercise some freedom, even though this was she didn't gain freedom by being with him. And he was, for lack of a better word, jealous of her, jealous of the fact that she was so talented and she got all the attention. So I think Marlon played him well. It's hard. you know. It's got to be hard to play an abuser. You know what I mean? So I think, again, he did the best that he could with this dismal script. 
Now, Forrest Whitaker is just Forrest Whitaker, which means he's good. <laughs> I mean, like, he does little things that sometimes escapes people. Like, you know, the way he works his eyes, the way his face got really, really tight in, in the scene um, where him and Ted encounter each other. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, at the, uh, at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, where he, because he is putting this aura about him, he's a celebrated preacher, which he was. He is a member of the community. He is an amazing father. And he has this control about him, right? And Ted White makes him lose that control. You know what I mean? He forgets that eyes are on him and that people are like, what is happening here, right? And that is hard to, you know, he kind of switched on and off back in a short span of time and you believed him, you know what I mean? I think Mm -hmm. some actors, when they try to do something like that, um, it gets over the top. But you did get to see, well, wait a minute, Reverend Cleveland ain't all that he claims to be. He's got a little of that gangster in him, too. Do you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. that is the situation. Where I thought it was criminal that they so underused her was Audra McDonald. You have a movie with music and you only let her sing a little bit? Are we doing this today? That is criminal. Like, they spent so much time on her childhood, which could have been cut a little bit. My God, yeah, it's like, what, 25 minutes? I know, way too much time. And if, but if you're going to go that route, then you got to give Audra McDonald the opportunity to belt one out. Because mm-hmm. we know she can't. Like, you're, I think some of us were sitting there, oh, so she sang a little bit at this part. Okay, we're going to get her to sing one song. Like, the, I, the smart thing would have been the ending song, her and Jennifer doing a duet, an original song, like in that inspired thing, or taking one of her lesser known songs and doing a duet. I always look at uh, Moonlight as a great example of introducing a supporting character in the case of Mahershala Ali, and that character being able to leave such a tremendous impact on the story, on you as an audience member, that then when they are taken out of the film, you still feel that lingering presence. And I agree with you, Kathia, that I felt like they could have done something like that with Audra McDonald here. And that's clearly what they're going for. And because they reference this, you know, these childhood memories later on in the movie to try and bring things, you know, full circle in terms of Aretha discovering her voice, which is a whole other aspect of this movie that I I think is a little messy at times. And also, once again, just very, very just standard storytelling that I feel like we've seen before. But this movie just never did that. I I, I agree. I I didn't think she was well utilized and they had a great opportunity to do so, especially when you're going to spend nearly a half an hour of your runtime in that section of the movie. I think it's it's also like what this movie did get right. Oh, I know very few things, but (laughs) it, it included her mother. She got her gift of voice from her mother. We don't, and also there is, in, in your in your words, Matt, there's no clarity on why they weren't living with their mother. Like, you got, you're sitting there and you're going, you don't have to give me a bibliography, but you do got to explain to me why 
in 1950s America, a mother doesn't have custody of her kids. Again, to utilize your thoughts, in the flashback, there should have been, oh, why the mom left? And then this had, this is why there is a certain void in Aretha. Do you know what I mean? Although she had her grandmother, she didn't have her mother. And that would have been a nice little tie back where people would have been like, okay. Now, some of us that know her story know that they had a very tumultuous marriage. It was abusive. And the mother left for her own safety and her own sanity. And he was a serial, um, he was abusive and he was a serial adulterer. And, uh, you know, one of the things she had to swallow is because Aretha father, father at 25 had a child with a 12 year old young woman from the congregation. Which, which is another thing, too, where it's like uh, this is such an important defining moment. And I feel like the movie does not do anything. Again, we don't have that clarity. And it no. And her sisters try they try to do a little bit of it when. They're like, oh, you were you you were too little, but this this house was not a happy place. They're this and that, and they're as adults are breaking it down where they're like, she had to leave. It was best for her. It was best for all of us. Mm-hmm. But probably, this is the thing around the water cooler. The reason because Reverend Cleveland was such a popular figure and such a strong presence in the movement, he had he had the power. He had the money, so he was able to utilize that to hold on to the kids, where she is a woman, and we know women didn't have many rights back then, and as a black woman, she didn't probably have the economic power to be able to fight him in order to get access to the kids, but she was very much a presence, and you have to think about in that time for a mother not to be in the house how that affected the kids, not just day-to-day living, but, hey, my mom is here at the bake sale and she's here, this and this and this, but your mother isn't, especially in church life. You know, women, the first lady, all of that has a huge part, but your mother is not there to fulfill that role. So all of those things, the whispers, probably had a profound uh, effect on her and how she felt about her. But we don't get any of that angst, that the troublesome other than the scene with the sisters where they talk about it. Mm-hmm. Other the part where the mother purposely always is at the end of the driveway. When she drops the kids off, she notice she does not go up to the house. She's at the end of the driveway and they kind of wave at each other. They never got legally divorced, by the way. So it's a lot there that you're going, okay, what is this situation? But ain't nobody explaining it. You got to kind of like, you got to kind of figure it out on your own. And that's a lot of work for a movie. At the same time, no, it's very easy work, I feel like, because once again, I feel like the storytelling that they're dealing with here is built for a mainstream audience to clearly understand And for people that don't watch maybe a lot of movies, uh, they will think that this is very powerful stuff. But for us who have seen many movies, uh, this just feels like same old, same old. And there could have been some connective tissue here in her relationship with her mother and then her relationship with her own children. The first of which she had when she was 12 years old. But the movie just 
brushes that under the rug and does never does anything with that either, in my opinion. Like, if you don't know that part about her life, you want, you're like leaning forward as you're watching it, but yeah. you're not being fed the connection. So you're sitting there and going, it's like, it would be natural turning to your friend and like, what the heck just happened here? Like, did we miss something? And, mm-hmm. and to go to agree with you is she had two kids under the age of 15, allegedly. Uh, the one boy she knew from around the skating ring from school that she she liked him, he liked her, stuff happened, right? The other child, and she named the, the second child's father. There were some wills around her ha- house, again, allegedly. And um, the first child was traumatic. Like, I don't know if she was assaulted, molested. But it wasn't it wasn't appropriate. Obviously, no twelve year old should have a kid. And she named the father in 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 one of the wills that she had laying around the house. But the point is, it was brushed over. Again, we don't need to see a child being attacked. You know what no. I mean? But there should have been because she was she went to school. Uh, she had the child, and then at twelve. There was no moment where she told her grandmother. Her grandmother knew, and her grandmother was the one that, like, smoothed it over with the rest of the family. And her sister, who's not with us anymore, said she had the baby, and then she went back to school. So imagine being 12 years old, even in, you know, even in the black school during that time, being pregnant, going to church, going to school. That had to be, come on now. It would still, I mean, we're, we're more modernized today. And if you are in middle school and one of your classmates is knocked up, you're going to be like, what in the world? But yeah. they made it seem like it was like, oh, she had a baby. No big deal. Don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days being a grown up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. The thing that this movie decides to focus on instead is it really embodies the title that the film chose to go with here, which is respect. And I believe that the 
connective tissue that I'm alluding to here that is trying to tie together all of these scenes from childhood all the way until the end of her career and the end of her life is this idea of her finding her voice and some form of self-respect because she lived a life where she clearly had this incredible talent, whether it, it, it was probably like the movie almost like wants us to believe it was like imbued upon her by uh, by God himself and her mother helped nurture it for her. And then her father is the one who really um, her father took advantage of her talent and yes, tried to deride the coattail of it. Like, oh, he discovered it is him who who nurtured her her voice right. and, and all of that. And he tried to be the one to um, catapult her having a successful singing career. Because when people recognize that there is talent, everybody wants to kind of be somehow in that inner circle, sucked into that aura and be and feel like they are having a part in it somehow. And especially, as alluded to earlier, uh, during this time where women did not have the kind of rights and, and, sorry, I'm going to use a pun, respect they have now. Then in in this particular case, this movie's central plot is really just about her going from man to man to man that are all, in some cases, really genuinely trying to help by doing their part, like Mark Maron's character, Jerry Wexler, or Titus Burgess as James Cleveland, or her father, or Marlon Wayans as Ted White. And, you know, you get the opposite end in this case here, where it, it creates this conflict and it creates this drama and it creates this opportunity there for there to be a character arc where Aretha, by the end of the movie, needs to be able to have uh, self-respect and actualization as to what she wants to use her voice for because she's constantly being told by others how to use her voice. And so I understand why the filmmakers chose this angle to tell the story. I I get it. I also think it just speaks a lot to uh, female empowerment, which is a dominating force right now in terms of stories that are currently being told by these uh, mainstream, big, larger studios at the moment. So, like, I get all of that. But there was so much here in terms of her civil rights activism, humanitarian work, and other aspects of her personal life that I do feel were sacrificed by the movie's attempt to tell this particular story, which, I, I like I said, I just didn't find it all that interesting. Yeah, those themes are very relevant and pretty focused, at least within the intentions of the storytelling, but I just found the execution to be so clunky. And, you know, Matt, you mentioned like her humanitarian and civil rights work. I feel like those elements are introduced and then kind of a little bit forgotten. And then it come back again later. It's like, oh, oh, wait, is this what the movie's actually about now? And there's a lot of moments like that. And I feel like, you know, there's always different approaches for biopics. And one that I think tends to be better is like pick a, a moment in somebody's life and sort of use that moment to recognize all these other things that were happening in their life in general. And I feel like that would have been better for this material. And instead it just feels like the scope of the story is just so wide that it doesn't really have solid footing to naturally 
dovetail into all of these different elements and themes in her life that were so important to her. And it just comes across as, as I said, very like clunky and disjointed. And that was a really big frustration for me in getting into the overall narrative. You're going to go with this theme, but you're omitting the error where she exercises that to the fullest, which is the seven days. Mm-hmm. In the 70s, you see an Aretha that is firmly standing on her own. She doesn't, she's single. She's with, she's single. She doesn't get married to Glenn Thurman until the end of the decade. But her father is not the, you know, he's not in charge of her career. Ted is not in charge of her career. Their relationship with Ken turns. But he is like the first man in her life that actually listens to her. Do you know what I mean? He's not like blah, 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 blah. Right. And then you see her saying, I want to work with different type of musicians, try things differently. She made, I want to say, so it's just in the 70s, she makes certain choices. Uh, One of those is working with Curtis Mayfield. Another one is her being smart enough of an entertainer and seeing what Don Cornelius was doing with Soul Train and saying, that's something I need to get behind. You know what I mean? And an artist of her, and just really standing firm. I always, the best way that I can put it is, the 60s for Black people was about being accepted and getting our rights and being in spaces that we deserve to be. And the 70s was about, we are no longer looking to assimilate. We're no longer looking to get approval for America and, and, and changing things about ourselves to be more palatable. And you see it in our hair, the natural hair movement. You see it in our clothes. You see it in our politics. It's now about empowering ourselves and empowering us and standing firmly in our blackness. And you can see it in these ebony covers and things like that. And Aretha understood all of that and her music and her politics and all of that um, confirmed that. You know what I mean? The, the shows that she did, the fact, again, that she she embraced the Sparkle soundtrack, which is so huge in the Black community. Uh, you know, the movie might not have been a, a major blockbuster, but it's a staple in Black households, you know, and it's a great film. And it's just, again, we don't get to see that. Her being more controlling of her image being uh, having the gift of being more um you get a softer aretha you get a sexier aretha a more glamorous aretha and all of that is her it's not some puppet behind her saying this is what you wear this is where you go this is what you do so again we don't see the arc where she goes from being controlled by men to her saying this is the type of music i want to make you see a little bit with amazing grace but you don't get to say this is how I'm presenting myself. You know what I mean? So that I think would have helped full circle where like I'm making this album and now I can move forward in my career Mm -hmm. as a woman. Yeah. With all that said though, I think we can all agree that the best element of this movie is Jennifer Hudson. Yes and no. Interesting. What do you mean by that? Okay. First of all, I don't expect her to sing like Aretha. This does not happen. Like, that woman's voice was so unique, you know, that it's hard. But I think one thing I I think we can agree on is that Jennifer sang her heart out. She sang live. Yeah. She has the vocal equipment to sing these songs. Because sometimes that happens where you're like, you have no business singing these songs. But who who allowed this to happen, right? 
Mm -hmm. And you know that about her. I don't know that at this movie for me, I ever looked at it and saw Aretha and didn't see Jennifer. And that's a problem for me. I'm supposed to believe that you're playing this character. It felt to me like this was Jennifer playing or paying homage to Aretha. It didn't feel like I saw Aretha Franklin up on that screen. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I think that Hudson is still good in the movie, as I said before. I think that she does deliver a very, like, magnetic performance. And I think that she embodies sort of the regality that we would kind of associate with Franklin. There is sort of an aura to her that feels like she is embodying, you know, the, the soul of her in a certain respect. But there's also elements to her performance that feels a little bit forced and I think, you know, with like the affectation she's doing in her voice, that sounds like she's really trying to emulate the just speaking patterns of of Aretha Franklin. It, there is something about the performance that doesn't like totally cross over into like, oh, she is fully embodying this character and I'm just seeing Aretha Franklin. It still does feel a little bit at arm's length in that regard. But at the same time, I can't deny that she is the best performance in the film. I think that as an anchor to the film, she's still doing a really good job. I just don't know if it crosses over into magnificent territory, but it is still to me the best element of the film. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm, I'm, and I will freely admit that it is... Oscar bait 101 where the role, everything that she's asked to do, the way it's presented, it's the kind of thing that we've seen done before. Like you get these very powerful musical numbers. She undergoes a series of traumatic uh, and, and dramatic uh, moments that give her plenty of opportunity to express a wide range of emotions there's even, like, the section of the movie where she starts, like, you know, drinking more and, like, taking drugs and stuff. And it just feels like, really? Like, we're, we're going to go into this section of the movie now? But it's, like, it just feels like it's trying to hit all of these familiar beats because, once again, that's just it's just a staple of the genre. And it, it almost feels like they didn't have to do this. But for some reason, and as I mentioned earlier, you have a first-time director, first-time writer... Does anyone know any better to, you know, say, hey, this has been done before. Maybe we should try going in a different direction here instead. Uh, I, I just don't. Yeah, I think the evidence is on the screen that that uh, clearly didn't happen. Here's my issue, too. There's a lot that I'm willing to forgive it under the first guise. But the writer is a black woman who grew up in a black household with black and black people. Mm -hmm. Aretha Franklin, I was, not, I was born in 1970. So there's a 20-year difference between us. But the reason why I love Aretha is because my grandmother loved her, my mother loved her, and she was played in our household, and she was a picture of Black excellence as far as a woman. Mm -hmm. So this is not foreign material. Like, you don't have to be a, uh, you know, have written certain things. This woman has been a presence in our lives in Black households for forever. So yeah. whatever context was missing there, she could have easily turned to our family members uh, if she's a member of a church, and they would have filled in some stuff in there to give her context, especially if you have family down south. So there's also a laziness, I feel like, to say, okay, I understand you want to tell this story, 
but we have we're we're trying to appeal to a group of people that didn't get to see this time period because they weren't born yet. And we need to bring that audience in too. And also, if we're going to have this painful whatever, whatever, right? We need to help this audience understand why. Why should we care about that? You know, I mean, other than that she's going through stuff. That's the thing. I mean, we, we're giving these folks excuses, but in reality, there was material all around you to help fill in whatever wasn't on the page, like whatever you needed to put in there in order to make it better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, completely. I think it's, it's, it's a certain sense of laziness or people are just going to take it. And I'm just like, this woman was way too important for this type of, uh, we're going to get by because she's shedding some tears. And, you know, I love Jennifer Hudson, but I'm looking at her too, because she's one of the producers. People are like, well, she did. No, no, no. I'm like, if she was just the actors in this, I would give her more leeway. But you signed on as a producer. When the credits roll, it says producer Jennifer Hudson. So that mm-hmm. means you had a say you in the script, you had a say in the whole movie making process and you allowed the foolery to happen. So you are partially responsible for this mess. Yeah, all around, I, I just feel that it's a misguided, um, not wasted opportunity. Because I do think that the movie is going to still appeal to some people out there. I just feel, once again, that for the category of what a monumental figure Aretha Franklin was and will continue to be for many, many people. Um, like you said, Kathia, um, I, I just, I feel bad that this is the movie that we got because, and, and I want to reiterate, I don't think that the movie is quote unquote bad. I just find it to be unremarkable. And I feel that it needed to be remarkable because she was remarkable. I call it underwhelming. That's what this movie was. I mean, I, I walk. I mean, I'll tell you this much: the the final sequence with the credits. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that, that yeah. That, that might have been the best part of the movie. Exactly, and and uh, as my friend Rhonda said, this basically said is we need another film. I said in my review, this woman was was way too important, lived way too much of an amazing life. You know, with all her ups and downs. For her to have the success, the global success, the reason why a lot of women started singing. You know, Patti LaBelle, who has one of the best voices in the business, said, I knew I could because Aretha did. Deserves, in my opinion, no, not one of these anymore, because we good on this. Uh, a 10-part, like Ken Burns-style biography, where you can go over, because she had a seven-decade career, Every decade, she was on the top in the Billboard 200. Every decade. And I think for the younger generation to understand who this woman was, we deserve like a biography where you can, excuse me, like a documentary where you can hear her speak, you know, her voice and her see her at work and just all of that. And I think that will be more complimentary than trying to do some. We had now two of these little things and it's not working. I was going to say, actually, if anyone has not seen the neon documentary Amazing Grace that came out actually uh, recently, where a section of the movie is all about 
not the making of that, but just how that uh, film production like kind of came to be. And I, I, I feel after even having seen that, that that experience was more transcendent and powerful than anything presented in this movie. Yeah. And I almost wish that was almost this movie. Like if this film had actually just been sort of the lead up to the recording of um, of that album, I think you would have gotten a lot of the themes already that the movie was working with in terms of her trying to find her voice and her uh, spirituality and her civil rights activism. Like you could have rolled all of that into a more concise and focused narrative. And instead, the movie doesn't do that. It tries to sprinkle that out throughout many elements of her life and career. And I just don't think it is very well executed in the way that the script comes together. So what I want to do now is I want to get to our final thoughts on the movie. Anything that we did not mention that you want to mention, and then we'll give a grade and then we'll discuss Oscar prospects. Kafia, final thoughts. You go first. I think if you are new to Aretha Franklin, this is a good starting point. Yes, I agree with that. But I would encourage you to go and watch Amazing Grace. I would encourage you to watch some of these other films that are out there on her. And um, even go to YouTube, look at her interviews. The thing that this movie really missed, too, Aretha Franklin was funny. She was witty. If you see her in interviews... The shade that she throws, subtle, her facial expressions. This woman in the movie had no wit, no joy. And that was really criminal because, again, if you look at just five minutes of YouTube videos of her giving interviews and how she just will be like, now, or the ones where they ask her about current singers and she goes, nice gowns. You know, in other words, she's like, <laughs> they can't sing, but they look pretty is really hilarious and you're like where is this woman in this movie yeah it just feels like they were more concerned with uh showcasing her pain struggles and uh, like i said to tell a story of female empowerment um the movie doesn't actually really seem to have uh Yes, the like the racial undertones of the story and the time period in which it takes place in Martin Luther King was obviously uh close with her it, it but it doesn't the movie is actually not as concerned about how important she was as as a black woman as opposed to just being a woman. 100%. The struggles yeah. that she had traveling in the segregated South. We don't get any of that. No, it feels like <laughs> there's that scene where they, uh, you know, are introduced to Jerry Wexler's uh, uh, band guys and they're all white. And the person who, you know, has a problem with that is uh, Ted White. Like, that's probably the most we get in terms of commenting on the, the racism of that era. I, I'm not saying that, that this movie had to be all about that, but I'm just very surprised that it's barely touched on at all. Because then what the movie, I think, is like sending a signal of is this is a movie about Aretha Franklin, one of the most incredibly talented, popular and important black figures in American culture, and we're making this movie for white people. Yeah, and you know what, to piggyback off that, also the fact is, how weird is it that in South Carolina, they're literally passing by people picking cotton in modern-day America, mm -hmm. and in this all-white environment, 
environment some of the best soul music came from. Like, there's no explanation. Why would these people that grew up in the segregated South want to make Black music? Why is this place so special? Like, again, if you are not familiar with Muscle Shoals, you're not going to get it. You're like, why is she... You're sitting there going, why is she going all the way down there to South Carolina when she could have just stayed in New York and where they have better state-of-the-art studios? What is it about this place that makes this so significant? That question is never... It's like you said, we don't have to talk about the race and we don't talk about the significance of the importance of Muscle Shoals, not only in her career, but in the music realm in itself. So we're, we're sitting there... And you're like, what, what? Okay. Ted yeah. goes crazy and end the scene. Josh Parham, what about you? Final thoughts? Uh, there's just a few things that I wanted to mention. One is, I don't know what was up with the cinematography in this movie, but it seemed like every scene was smoky and like had this smoky haze to it. I don't know yeah. why. It was mm. very strange. It didn't really like look bad all the time, but it just seemed like it's like everybody constantly smoking or what i don't know there was, was a very weird decision in the cinematography i don't understand that uh i did mention how there are some of the supporting cast members i didn't like but there are others that i really did and i think mark Marin in particular is so like funny and charming in this movie that he he's not in it a lot but his few scenes went a long way for me and i think he's great i think Tigers burgess is really good uh, as we said, Audrey McDonald is like barely in the movie, but she accomplishes so much with like just a small look. So there's good supporting members in the cast, even though the kind of top liners I wasn't that big of a fan of. But I did like some of the other performances. And the last thing is that I am begging for the love of God. When we get another musical biopic, please, can we retire the flashing of the album covers with the years. Oh. Can we please, please, can we just stop? The newspaper like, headlines. Oh, yeah. I, I'm I'm so I'm so tired of it. I'm not expecting every trope of this genre to go away, but can we please at least get rid of that one? I am so unbelievably sick and tired of it. Just But that that's but trope, that's like please. the movie's answer in always trying to showcase a passage of time because at the end of the day they don't want to make this a three hour long film and that would cover that period. And it's I agree, Josh. It's like I, the problem isn't so much that they do it to begin with. The problem is, is that so many films do it that at this point it's seen as really no one, no one, literally no one has an original idea in their head to better tackle this problem or why not just have the foundation for your story be more uh, specific than trying to do this expansive, wide, full timeline of somebody's life? Because when you do that and you don't have the benefit of a miniseries that would give you, say, 10 hours to tell your story, you inevitably have to fall to something like this. And I, I think that, like I said, do I think it's like, quote unquote, bad? No, but enough is enough. Yeah, I really want, if it were up to me, anybody who was trying to make a biopic on a, of a musician, I would tell them, watch Walk Hard, and then don't do anything that they were making fun of in that movie. Like, that should be the starting point from here on out. And why it hasn't been is beyond me. <laughs> uh, my only final thoughts on this are... I, I I want to just reiterate that I did like 
pretty much all of the performances in this. And I know that that based on people I've talked to, like that's like kind of a crazy take to have because there were a lot of people who fluctuate with many of the performances in this. But I really did like the ensemble. I like the costuming that was done. I thought that um, Jennifer Hudson had some really incredible uh, looks as Aretha in some of these concert scenes. And the movie, I think, at the end of the day, is like as we said before, is basically giving us this introductory one-on-one look at who Aretha Franklin is. And if it does inspire somebody to look up more, fine, all the better for it. I don't think that the movie is awful i i definitely think it is disappointing but the performances and especially jennifer hudson who i i did think elevated the material it, it brings it up to a passable very weak six out of ten for me kathia out of ten what would you give this movie i give this movie a five because it missed an opportunity to 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 really bring a an icon to a new generation josh I am also a five out of 10. I didn't hate it, but it was just sort of very like, um, as was said earlier, a very underwhelming effort for me. So in terms of the film's Oscar potential, we got to start with Jennifer Hudson. We got to start with that conversation here. I believe that even despite the film's mixed reception, if it worked for Renee Zellweger with Judy, which didn't also get the most rapturous praise as a movie but the performance was singled out by a lot of people i think it will be enough to keep her in the conversation all season i think without any kind of corresponding best picture nomination or other support elsewhere throughout the movie though i think she's going to struggle to win unless she sweeps which i can't i i I mean we haven't seen everyone yet but even that i'm like i don't see it happening yeah i don't I don't know. I, I'm not betting on it right now. I think that she probably feels kind of safe for a nomination just because of the nature of the role and how people respond to it. But I, it would depend on what the competition coming out is going to be like. But it does sort of seem like just given the nature of the type of performance it is and the movie it is. And, and I think this film, for all of its faults, is probably going to find a very strong audience, too, and that will help keep it in the conversation. Um I do imagine that she will stick around. Whether she'll win will depend on just the strength of her performance in the season overall. But I do figure that she'll probably still be kind of showing up in a lot of places and getting a lot of mentions for this work. I think she'll get nominated, but she won't win because there's nothing earth shattering going on there. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. I mean, this if she would win anywhere and who knows what's happening with that award show. But if she would win anywhere, it would be the Golden Globes because they they love this type of stuff. They are more open mm-hmm. for this type of stuff. You know what I mean? That would yeah. be where she would get that spring. It helped Audra, but I you know I think Audra gave a much better performance. But it's just yeah, I think it's going to be one of those things where. Unless, you know, Marlon and, and, and Forrest sneak in there, that will help her. Do you know what I mean? But I don't I don't see that for this film. I think it's going to be her. I, I was genuinely thinking about this while watching the movie. I, I a, a thought did come over me that there might be an awards body somewhere within the season that could nominate Forrest Whitaker 
I mean, I, I just like, like the thought occurred to me, you know, in terms of past winner, he does have some dramatically heavy scenes and moments. Like I said earlier, I, I don't, I, I, I agree like with Josh where it's like the performance might be too divided amongst people that it may not go all the way but i don't know josh did you get a similar feeling maybe not in terms of an oscar nomination but he too could pop up here and there which could then be a piece of evidence to show that there is support for hudson more than we think yeah like i could see him being one of those people that gets like that random sag nomination because sag seems to really like him and uh yeah i wouldn't personally agree with that (laughs) as you know but I do think that if he were to show up in places, I don't think that would necessarily translate to him getting nominated, but it would at least be a signal of people responding to the movie in general and would help her mostly. But I really don't think anybody outside of Hudson is really going to compete for getting a nomination. Well, the only other thing I would say in terms of, you know, usually with these kinds of musical biopics, there's usually the central performance and then there's a a tech or two here or there. Now, there's no incredible like makeup work that's being done, but the costuming was something that I thought, you know what? She's got these very uh, she's got these very beautiful gowns. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that is the next in line. I I'm very pessimistic about the academy recognizing black makeup and hair work (laughs) so i'm not really high on those chances unfortunately but the costumes yeah i I think they could still kind of go either way but i do think of all of the below the line elements that it's in contention for i think costumes is the strongest one yes hair the wigs were good i'm a big stickler that in 2021 we still have bad wigs in a lot of these movies especially when it comes to black people. That one thing we know how to do is some hair. So the wigs, that the, they got that 100% correct. The hairstyles, if you look at pictures of her and you look at, uh, look at what Jen wore in the movie, the costumes were amazing. You know what I mean? There's a scene where she and her sisters walk to the label and they're in their coats and the color, everything pops. So... That's where this movie may shine, you know what I mean, in in those in those areas. But those things don't necessarily tend to translate into the acting categories being pushed up. And then one other thing, too, I heard someone say this before. I didn't know this. Maybe I missed it in the promotional material. Um, did someone mention before that there's live singing in this movie? So could that translate into a sound conversation? Yes, yeah, she's mm. saying everything live. She's saying everything live. So, again, I don't know unless you have, you know, is it going to beat something like Coda where, you know what I mean, where that will definitely be in sound, too. Mm-hmm. Or who knows what Dune is going to bring, you know what I mean? That's definitely something that you're thinking uh, the Academy tends to lean a little bit more towards of in terms of the technical awards. But I think there are some pockets in there in terms of, like, people getting their shine i can also see her that that this movie doing well in the image awards they like this type of stuff you know especially with with the work that aretha did um with civil rights and all of that i can see them sweeping at the image awards if that's a place where she's going to get recognition where um marlon as well as forrest because that's the whole reason of that award show 
But often enough, that doesn't translate over. It's a completely different body of voters. That's not going to translate over into Oscars. But it will give the the movie the celebration from the community. I can also see like Jennifer being celebrated and in essence Black Hollywood. But again, those things don't necessarily always translate over to Academy voters. Anything else, Josh? No, I, I think that's about the ceiling. I Although, wasn't there an original song mentioned in the movie? But I, I can't remember what that song was at all. Yeah, if we can't, I mean, if you can't remember it, I think that just tells you everything you need to know at that point. Exactly. I just mentioned it because I think that was something that was announced, but it left absolutely no impact on me because I cannot remember what that song was at all. All right. Well, that'll do it here for our review of Respect here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Kathia, thank you so much for taking the time today to be here and talk about this movie with us. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You can find me at Kathia, K-A-T-H-I-A underscore Woods on Twitter. You can find my site at com. Exactly that. We're everything the same. And you can also find my writings at the Philadelphia Tribute at Philly Tribune uh, on Twitter. Awesome. Thank you uh, once again. It's always a pleasure having you here, and we look forward to having you back again sometime soon. Thank you. Josh Parham, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Respect here on the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For a $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.